morning. Our scripture this morning is Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 35 to 42. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The word of the Lord. left who want to go off to kids church you're welcome to do that now i think some are there some aren't and as we do that i think ella's probably off going but we're going to pray for ella right now you guys want to stay for a minute especially negrins just because we're going to pray for ella okay and then you guys can head off let's pray together come holy spirit and bless this young faith But to you, Heavenly Father, I I know full well that any trust in you is more than adequate. You take even mustard seed of our faith and bless us beyond what we could ask or imagine. And we thank you for Ella and we pray a blessing on her now. Strengthen her for what lies ahead for her. Allow her to continue to be a blessing to others, her family, friends, this community, her school, and other people. And Heavenly Father, would you continue to allow her to hear your voice, to follow you, and to serve you. So we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you, you guys. This uh, text, we've been working through John chapter 1, mostly the prologue, and we're going to finish up soon and not continue on in, in the book of John. Um, but take up a different summer series, and we'll give you some more information on that. But I uh, wanted to get through John chapter 1 and the very beginning of John chapter 2. This section from this morning is short, but if you allow it to be, and if you listen with any creativity, imagination, but mostly if you listen asking the presence of the Holy Spirit, you will see that this is a beautiful passage of Scripture. And... Uh, You know, I'm okay with people describing things differently than I do and saying, well, the word you choose might be different. I'm going to insist this is a beautiful passage of Scripture. That's the word for it. It's quiet. It's unassuming. But it is and can be profound and powerful. It won't force itself upon you, this short reading. But the question I have for you is, will you listen And can I ask you to enter in 
however you do that. So some would enter in with their imagination to picture John the Baptist, as the scene was read to us, to picture John the Baptist with his two followers and then encountering Jesus Christ. And then they go and follow Jesus Christ and ask him, ask Jesus a question. They wind up going to where he's staying. And that's basically the story. So you can enter it. Some of you are really good at that. You can enter with your imagination. You can picture that. So I invite you to do that this morning. Others need the pastor or the preacher to give them like three or four points. And so I'll do some of that as well. And you need a pen and paper, and that's great too. And I'll give away the heart of it right off the top. This text includes the first words of Jesus as recorded in John's Gospel. Do you remember we have John the Evangelist? He writes the Gospel of John. And we have John the Baptist. John the, Van- John the Evangelist writes about John the Baptist at the beginning of this book. And then he writes about the life of Jesus Christ. And John the Evangelist is a good writer and a great storyteller. Remember that these Gospels, the whole of the Bible, by the way, but was not something that, was, that most people had through history as written down. They were stories that were told. And so John writes this, but these are stories that would be told one person to another through many years and centuries. And John's a great storyteller. And the first words that he puts in the mouth of Jesus, well, Jesus speaks them, but John chooses them when he writes. You know what I mean? And these are the first words. Remember that as we've gone through the prologue, and now we're getting into the storytelling part of John's gospel. So you have at the beginning this cosmic, remember we went above this roof, You have this cosmic identity of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Before all things, holding all things together. That's a cosmic description. And then you have a little verse in the same passage, same portion, that says, there was a man sent from God named John. doesn't identify him as John the Baptist, but he baptizes people, so we call him John the Baptist, or more accurately, John the Baptizer. There was no Baptist church at this point. So you have cosmic and you have earthly. The other words we gave for that were transcendent and imminent. Now, most of you are familiar with the word imminent with an I. I-M-M-I, right? Imminent, meaning about to happen. The end of this service is very imminent, but not quite imminent enough. That type of thing. Right? But that's not the word I'm using. I'm using the word with an A instead of that second I. Imminent, as in right close to us, right here. So God is transcendent above all, distant and other, right? High, mighty. But God in Jesus Christ is imminent here with us. And and this prologue outlines this very well, particularly as it introduces John. And then John the Evangelist says that the first words of Jesus Christ, at least in this telling, and you hear them, George read them for us, and they are awesome. Or they are not awesome. It's up to you. We must first face the possibility that they're small. Because here are the first words of Jesus Christ. I don't know if I have them on the screen or not. Is that going? Sorry, Mir, I don't know if this is... We did test it. The first words of Jesus Christ in this gospel are simply this. What are you looking for? That's really off. Don't, don't look at that. Look at me. Um, the first words of Jesus Christ are simply this. What are you looking for? Or in the ESV that George read, what are you seeking? 
Now, I could say, and pre- most preachers would do this, it's our kind of tendency, if we see the words, what are you looking for, we're going to assume that those are profound, right? So I'm going to say, you know, whoever, pick a name in here. I'll go Cheryl, because Cheryl's good with this kind of thing, right? Cheryl, what are you seeking? All right, I'm going to ask it that way, and that means, like, what are you really after in life? What matters to you? But the text doesn't outline that the question is profound. The question is just there. So it could also be, what are you looking for? Now I'm going to ask you that again, and you could say, my car keys, right? What are you looking for? You could say, and you might even ask yourself this question, has this happened to you? Those who have staircases in their homes, you go upstairs, and by the time you get to the top of the stairs, you say to yourself, what are you looking for? It could be that. The fridge door you open. And then you think, "Uh uh-oh. I have no idea. It's either that, basic and simple, or, or I would say and, it is the most profound and meaningful question of your life. I want you to hold it over this consideration as you hear this sermon this morning. And we'll conclude with some other words of Jesus Christ from John chapter 14. Same John the Evangelist writing the story, same gospel. But John chapter 14 is the end of the story of Jesus' life on this earth before his crucifixion. So he's with these same followers who just met him in what we're reading today. But in John chapter 14, Jesus knows he's about to be crucified. And so he says to them, he knows that they're going to feel utterly alone really soon because they don't understand the crucifixion resurrection thing that he's been talking about. And so in John chapter 14, he offers words of comfort. And it really provides a wonderful bookend for this story. So in this scene, what happens? The story is so small. That's why I call it beautiful. It almost begs the question, why would John the Evangelist write this? Why include this in the story? Verse 35. John the Baptist is with his disciples. It's not the first occasion of John the Baptist seeing Jesus. Remember earlier, he saw Jesus and he said, remember the words, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In verse 35 we get, The next day. Now you had that earlier in the text as well. It said the next day then, but now there's another day. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. He didn't add the last part that he said previously. The two disciples heard him say this, And they followed Jesus. I'm going to ask you to not miss what is here. I'll help you to see it. With this question. I've been a pastor for a while, almost entirely at this church. But I know a number of other pastors. One of the things that we hold sometimes is a question in our mind. What do people want us to sign up for? Like if I was really going to please you as a pastor, what would I do? Because if you've been a pastor for any period of time, and I don't mean to say this like with any accusation, you get to be okay with people not being pleased with you all the time. You wouldn't enter, those who enter ministry and aren't okay with that, they don't last or they do a lot of damage. But we are aware that many times there are people who think, if only it was like this, 
So I say to you, what do you want me to sign up for? Or what do you want your loved ones to sign up for? I'll help you to see what's happening here as these disciples leave John and follow Jesus. We could mention many things that we want people to sign up for. Think firstly, because I want to be gentle with you before we get to kind of the, the big point. Think firstly in the secular world. Some of you, not all of you, thanks be to God, because if this was all of us, we would just destroy each other. And those who are like this, we need you, but it can be annoying at times. Some of you are really, really good at telling other people what they need to do. Isn't it astounding that there's personalities like that? I mean, if you're sick, if you're overweight, if something's happening in your life, you know, you've got a friend and they'll tell you everything you need all the time. Just do this. Just sign up for this diet program or you need to eat like this. Right? And sometimes that can be tremendous blessing. It can change our lives. So that's in the secular realm. What about in the realm of faith? What do you know that other people need? If only they would do this. Pray more often. Sing these songs. Worship this way. If only it was like this. My interest here is with John and his followers. Because John, remember John the Baptist had a following. That's why the religious leaders noticed him. The religious leaders noticed him and sent a delegation earlier. Remember, we covered this. And they said, we need to know who you are. It's kind of a dumb question. I'm John. And eventually I'll be John the baptizer. I don't think he said that. But they were wondering, does he think he's the Messiah? Because he's got a following, right? Does he think he's the prophet Elijah? Does he think he's the prophet? Another piece of identity. John had a movement. This is, John had this movement of people who were following him. This is a key for us in this text. And here's where the beauty lies for me. Though John had this following, he so beautifully called people to follow Jesus. His program wasn't the end of all things. So, I'm going to ask you again. What do you want people to sign up for? I know what we need in this church. We need modern choruses. Right? Now, I'm going to, I'm play acting now for a while. Don't think Todd thinks we need modern chorus. I'm, go with me. It's funny because sometimes you do that as a minister and people say, you said this. And I'm like, no, I know. I was meaning the opposite of that. But anyway. But we need modern choruses because hymns are so yesterday. And anywhere that's really growing, they've got modern choruses, and it always seems to be a stage with like lots of black behind and big screens and drums and guitar. That's what we need. And if we're a place like that, or maybe not, maybe, I know what we need. We need liturgy and hymns. I was preaching at St. Timothy's earlier this morning. They love their liturgy. Liturgy is going to, that's what we need. Or maybe we need Holy Spirit power program that that brings. Now, let me, let me qualify. This is the only one I'm going to qualify. Nothing happens in Christian faith without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm identifying in this. What I'm identifying is 
I know just what you need, the following program. Pray this way, receive this way, speak this way, and that's it. Or maybe you roll your eyes at that, as some people do. Oh, we don't need that. Don't bring Holy Spirit power. That stuff, whoa. Right? And you say, no, what we need is intellectual. We need to really consider this faith. This is kind of where I think a little bit, because I'll describe to you how I encounter God. My encountering of God often is in ordinary things. Some of you encounter God primarily. I'm not saying this happens for you every day. Some it might, but some through really, really supernatural experiences. And, and, and in some ways you need that. For, for my encountering of God, it's often in very ordinary ways where the ordinary seems to become extraordinary. And if you've known me for any period of time, I encounter God in ideas, in thoughts, in theology. So I came across this quote this week, the top one, and I was overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit when I read it. We cannot build the kingdom of God. We can only proclaim it. When I read that, it brought me to tears. Now, some of you are saying, oh yes, I feel something similar, and others are going, what? And you know what I say? Thanks. Be to God. Jesus, this is Jean Vanier's commentary on this passage, this very passage. As these two go from John to follow Jesus, Jesus does not want to impose on us an idea, a doctrine, or an ideology. And I would add, or a political worldview, or a style of worship, or a denominational expression. Jesus does not want to impose on us an idea, a doctrine, or an ideology. What does that mean? And now here's the most beautiful part of the text. But it's so simply told that you could miss it. In this text, these followers move from John the Baptist to follow Jesus Christ himself. That's what we are all to care about. In this church, we haven't always done a great job of seeking God's blessing and the power of the Holy Spirit in this in calling people to know Jesus Christ. We need to pray for renewal in that way. Come, Holy Spirit, and help us, like John, to direct others to follow you, Lord Jesus Christ. But as we do that, we must not make the mistake of thinking that calling people to follow Jesus means calling people to follow Jesus just like I do. John knew that. And he's beautiful for it. What could John have done? Well, I sometimes think, what if John was around today? There's lots of John the Baptist type personalities around. And... Um, I mean, here, because he had developed a following and there was, like, a movement as part of what he was doing, really, I think in cases, in most cases in 2017, people would have started seminars. It would be like John the Baptizer seminar. And so you can come and you can learn what I'm all about and 
how to have the same power I have or, or whatever it is, right? No seminar. Now, I, by the way, I'm pro-seminar. I like to go to theology things. I like to go learn. I like to go, all these types of things and even go to learn about things that aren't necessarily my inclination. But it's telling that John doesn't do that. He doesn't seek to build his own ministry. He seeks to help others follow Jesus Christ. And here's what happens. You have, now, and I, I want to say this gently, but, no, I don't. I want to say it strongly. Whatever, you decide. You have things that happen in your life that, that you encounter, that you feel, ways methods, um, incidents, occasions, things you're drawn to, things in your life that help you to see that you are not a stranger in the eyes of God. What What would you describe those things as? What are the occasions? What are the incidents? This happened in my life, and when I encountered this, and for me, part of it is like a quote like that that I read. Those things that for you and your particular personality, your particular manner of prayer, whatever it might be, you know in that moment you are not a stranger in the eyes of God. And so I say to you, those things are good things. But here's the mistake that you make. You seek to get followers to that thing instead of to Jesus. So do I. Because that's the thing that worked for you. John lets his followers go. There's not even a, hang on a sec, can I trust Jesus with these, you know, these guys with Jesus? Our call is twofold. Hear this. First, our call for each of us is to see whether we have responded positively to Jesus Christ. Are we willing to follow Jesus Christ? Some of you have not ever said yes to following Jesus Christ because you think it means you've got to sign up for some other program. May I relieve you of that misconception. Jesus isn't going to ask you to be anybody other than who you are. In fact, you'll be more who you are than you ever have been. And if me and other people have put on some other program that you've rejected and in the process you've rejected Jesus Christ, I say, please see, Lord Jesus Christ, yes, I want to follow you. So first, for each of us, and then as a community, and if we have a future in this community, then here's the call for us. That we together as a community would say, let us help others to follow Jesus Christ. But in that, we will be open that it doesn't have to be just like my following. The way I do. And the things that connect with me. And now verse 38. Jesus turns to them as they follow him. And here's where the question comes up. Jesus turns to them and he says, what are you looking for? Isn't that great? First question he asks his followers. He knows they're coming towards him. They're leaving John in a way. And they're coming towards him. And he says, What do you want almost? Or what are you seeking? What are you looking for? Again, it can be the most basic of all questions or the most profound. And the text doesn't give it away. But this is one of the texts that I call a Vancouver text. There's another one in the book of Ezra where they're having a gathering and everybody's depressed. 
because they've sinned and one of their leaders is going to call them out on it. And it says he gathered them in the town square and everybody was depressed because of their sin and because of the rain. That's a Vancouver verse. This is another one because Jesus says, what are you seeking? And they give the perfect Vancouver answer. They ask a real estate question. Ten seconds in. What are you seeking? And they say, well, where's your place? (laughs) Where are you staying? And Jesus says this beautiful thing. Come, and you will see. This is what we need to get good at. You don't need to get good at all the things that I value in my expression. And I don't need to get good at all the things that you value in your expression. But we do need to get good at calling people to know Jesus Christ. That they would get to the place where they, where they hear his voice say, Come, and you will see. And then we, like John, let go to some degree. And they follow him. Come and you will see, he says to them. So they do go. They accept the invitation and they stay with Jesus Christ for the day. And this is where our call exists. Whenever you get a beginning, and that's what we're talking about in this encounter, when he says, what are you seeking? Those of you who are good movie watchers, which is virtually everybody, uh, you know that the, the beginning and the end can just be so poignant and really tell the story of everything that happened in the middle. The end of the story, before Jesus' crucifixion, he's trying to comfort his disciples. I spoke about it. And he's saying to them, just before the crucifixion, it's a rather lengthy speech that he gives to them. And in John chapter 14, verse 1, you say, how do, you, how do I know that he's comforting them? Well, here's the words. Let not your hearts be troubled. That's the first verse of John 14. He knows that very soon they're going to feel utterly alone. And so like someone who's caring, I can think of myself sometimes as a parent in this regard or as a pastor, by the way, and I can think, I know pretty soon that person is going to feel terrible. And I don't usually say, pretty soon you're going to feel terrible. Cause... But I try to find something that will be of comfort that they can hold on to later. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. And then he says... In my Father's house there are many rooms. Remember this? And he says, I go and I prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place, then I'm going to come back. And I'm going to bring you to... Anybody know John 14, what the next words are? Don't shut it out because it will just be showing off. John 14. And if I go and I prepare a place and I come back, I will bring you to... Now, anybody in the world would write the story and say, I will bring you to the place that I've prepared. But that's not what he says. I'll bring you to my father's house, but that's not what he says. If I prepare a place, I will come back and I will bring you to myself. That's our hope. See how beautifully that book ends? Where are you staying? By the way, in that little passage of Scripture where Jesus is consoling and comforting the disciples and giving them words of comfort that they'll need later, that is where, this is a little side note, that is where Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Now, I know many of you know those words. When I grew up as a good Baptist, maybe not such a good Baptist, but a Baptist, those words were taught to me, and it's not that anybody said this directly, but the way in which they were taught, I came to realize that they, you, you could use them as a bit of a hammer. So if people didn't believe, not that you would say this, but I probably did to high school friends in my most zealous days, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Like the words were exactly the opposite of comforting. I'm not going to tell you exactly how you should, you know, receive those words in the Holy Spirit, but I'll tell you this. They didn't exist in that context. They existed in the context of comfort. Because the disciples, after Jesus was saying, I'm going to go away from you, right? Crucifixion, resurrection. One of the disciples says, we don't know how to get where you're going. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. See how those words are different than, in, than if you think of them as a hammer? In my Father's house there are many rooms. I go prepare a place for you. I'll come back again and I'll take you to myself. My prayer for you. Whatever your way you hear God in this life and faith, my prayer for you is that you would know your identity in Jesus Christ. Fullness. I'll come back and take you to myself. Vanier says also in his commentary, in order to follow Jesus and to dwell with him, we must let go of our search for power, wealth, or reputation that our culture tends to impose upon us. We must let go of even the things that we think other people should sign up for. Sometimes those very things, even in religion and faith, sometimes those very things can prevent us from helping others follow Jesus Christ. So here is lost and found. It's the end of the text. One of the disciples says to others who are going to follow Jesus Christ, come, we found the Messiah. I was lost and now I'm found. I'm found in him. We're going to pray. I want to, before we pray, a couple of things. There's always prayer after the service available at the back. Tomorrow night we have two prayer meetings here. One at 6.30, that's open to, well, they're both open to anyone. But one at 6.30, congregational prayer. And then at 7.30, they might overlap a bit or whatever, we have prayer for Nepal. Um, I th- well, yeah, Daniel has to be in town because Andy's at his graduation right now. So I'm assuming that both Andy and or Daniel and Karina will be here uh, for the Nepal part of the prayer. We'd love you to be part of that. Before I pray also, because I'm going to pray to close the sermon time, and then after that we'll take the offering, but I also wanted to um, update you on something that's been happening in our congregation that uh, Allison has asked me to update you on. Some of you, many of you might know this already, but it's a matter of prayer and a matter that also affects uh, leadership here at the church. Um, I don't have my notes with me, Allison, so I hope I get it right. So anyway, um, I'll keep it brief in that regard. Allison, many of you know Allison has had colitis for the last number of years, and that's been uh, brought a whole host of difficulties, and also God has blessed through that time. And as in, in, the, um, in some of the treatment for the colitis and after pregnancy with Josh, and, uh, there were some appointments and follow-ups and the rest. And they did some tests that they were never supposed to do, one of these kinds of things, because they were specialists and everything. 
And those tests found some dysplasia, which means that that's precancer, and some dysplasia in Allison's large intestine. So what they did after that was these specialists met and said, before even talking to Allison, what's the course of treatment for this? And they all agreed that the only course of treatment was to have the large intestine removed. And so Allison and Keith met with the doctors, and they received this news some time ago. And then recently, Allison found out when the surgery is going to happen, or the first of the surgeries, because here's what's happening. There's going to be three major surgeries over the next eight to ten months. And you can, for more details, you can talk to Is that okay? Don't want to send too many people your way, but... Basically, three surgeries so that Allison, by the end of that time, can get to the point where she is most able to function and be almost, like, I would say 100%, we'll say close. You, you can cite the percentage when you're talking to people. But it's three major surgeries, the first of which is going to pl- take place next Tuesday, June 20th. And so we want you to be praying for Allison and for Keith and for their whole family. She's going to need help as well. Because this, uh, this procedure with all of these surgeries is going to mean basically the next 8 to 10 months is surgery and then recovery. Okay? And so that means that in terms of being able to lift a baby and the rest, Allison will need lots of help. If you want to help, you speak to Angela, who's right here. You can, I see that hand. Can you raise it a little higher? You know Angela. Or to Jen. Um, and they're arranging schedules of people to help. Okay. Okay, so there'll be something in an upcoming bulletin as well. Also for us here at the church, Allison was going to come back from maternity leave and, and take up, you know, again, her position of uh, leader of worship. And so that's not going to happen for some time now. And so I've met with Jim Galpin, and he, he knows about all of this, and he just said, I'm in. And so he's away right now on a business trip, but God is providing for us as a community in that way too. So you're going to hear, hear me pray for that. I want to say something that Allison had in her Facebook post on this, which you can get if you like, um, which was really well written and, and concise and thoughtful and whatever else and, and gave you all the details. Um, but she included there, I can't say it exactly, but she said, this is pretty darn miraculous. Um, is how she feels about this. Because this wouldn't have been found without this test and there was no reason for this test. And Allison says, when this is done, I'm not going to have colitis and I'm not going to have cancer. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. And after the prayer, we'll take the offering as we close also with our worship time. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for this beautiful little story, beginning of this gospel. We thank you for John the Baptist, the important role that he played But we thank you that he knew that he was not that important. Come, Holy Spirit, and teach us. Redeem my words. Heavenly Father, bless those who hear. Would you build us up? Would you call us, a Sutherland Church, to a new day where we seek together, maybe even in the same church community with people who are so different than us, and how they hear your voice, but that together we seek to help others to follow Jesus Christ. We pray for those who have not put their trust in you, Lord Jesus, here this morning, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that they would know that they can. 
And that it doesn't mean they're signing up for a particular program, signing up to be your followers. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray for the offering taken. We pray that it would be used for your kingdom's work, knowing that we cannot build your kingdom, we can only declare it. But would you do your work using uh, the blessings that we have, that we've given back? We're so grateful. And now call us to worship as we think about being sent from this place for your glory. We pray for Allison and for Keith and their family. We thank you for their presence among us. We thank you for their witness and testimony of growth in you. And we pray particularly for Allison at this point, facing this surgery in just over a week. I know, Lord, that you've given her an extra extra measure of strength in this time. We pray for her when she feels alone, which will happen. We pray for her when she feels overwhelmed, which will certainly happen. We pray for her when she feels uh, very difficult pain. And we pray for her, especially when she feels like there's no end to this. Would you help us to help this family as well? And we thank you for their presence with us. We pray all of these things and we trust our lives to you, to your care. In Jesus' name, amen.